Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Daily Friends Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and uh, I'm joining you today on yet another freezing day in Johannesburg, as I think much of the rest of the country is also kind of freezing. Uh, today, I'm joined by Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, how are you? Very well, thank you. I'm pleased to say that once again, it's, it's quite funny, although nippy, um, and I think once the sun goes, the, the chill factor rises considerably. Otherwise, in fine fettle, thank you. Excellent, excellent. And uh, with a slight technical uh, problem that is uh, giving her a little bit of a delay in her responses, but hopefully won't be anything too much of a problem, uh, we have Genevieve joining us for the second time on the show. Genevieve, very good to have you back, and good to be the host on the time that you are back. Yes, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be back on the show, and hopefully my technical delay will sort itself out. Indeed. Uh, now, without any further ado, let's get into the news of today. And uh, this story is, is one for that I think happened over the weekend, but it's one of those kind of concerning ones. Um, there is a lot of fear in the business community about the burning of trucks on the N3 and the N4 highways. Now, this is not new. We've covered stories similar to this in the recent past, but the most recent uh, incidents of truck burning I think have, have really spooked business because of some of the details about them. So on what was exactly uh, the two-year anniversary of the uh, 2021 July riots, a 11, at least 11 trucks were set ablaze by armed men on the N3 and N4 highways uh, uh, near Van Rienden's Pass on the N3, as well as the Vortefall Boven on the N4 in Pumalanga. And Apparently, the modus operandi of these things was that uh, a bucky showed up with a group of armed men who then proceeded to force the drivers out of the trucks and set them alight. In both cases, I believe the N4 uh, is still closed, or at least was still closed um, earlier today. And this is very concerning because normally these things sort of have a slightly more theft-based angle around them. The trucks are often looted before they're burned. Um, sometimes there's a, a, an accompanying demand from some sort of supposedly business forum that says that, you know, the truck companies will stop employing foreigners or something like that. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, it's not really clear what exactly uh, the demands have been, if any. Uh, thankfully, it doesn't appear that anyone has died in those particular incidents. Um, but still, as, as uh, Gavin Kelly, the CEO of the Road Freighty Association said, no one has put their hands up. Um, if the latest attacks were about employing foreign drivers, then why uh, were they attacking companies that employed only locals and paid better than minimum wages? And they suspect that there is, in fact, a more nefarious reason. Uh, President Ramaphosa has also referred to this as uh, being something like economic sabotage. So, of course, there's lots of negative consequences that come from this kind of truck burning stuff. Uh, you know, you've got shaky business confidence, you've got increased prices because the transport costs are higher, you've got more stress on the rail network, at least you would if the rail network was working. Um, and there's even now some talk, apparently, according to uh, people in the, rate for, in the road freight associations, that companies in the DRC and Zambia are looking to move their goods out through Mozambique 
rather than through South mm. Africa. Now that is truly horrifying, uh, uh, Michael, when you consider that mm. Mozambique is, shall we say, not exactly the world's greatest front country. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that bring home to us in a way the, the grim truth of the, the existential condition of South Africa today that, you know, countries like um, like DRC, which, you know, we quite likely misjudge uh, completely as being so much uh, worse off than we are, uh, are making these absolutely rational decisions about the, the risks and the, you know, the, the kind of security options um, of, uh, you know, sending goods through a country that's become very dangerous for them. Um, and, and, you know, it is, it is worrying when you, when you consider that we, we we sort of in the dark here, we don't know, you know, why they're doing it, who's doing it. Uh, is this uh, some kind of probing gesture on the part of uh, people who want to, you know, try and trigger a repeat of the July 2021 uh, unrest? Um, the, the other point, which I think is, 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 is just as worrying is, as uh, Gavin Kelly, you, you, you quoted him earlier, but he, he says, you know, is there more nefarious reasons, he puts it, for the attacks aimed at destroying um, the industry to make way for other players, uh, and and we've seen this with um, with the you know the construction mafia and so on. People trying to elbow in, in through by violent means and violent threats and so on, threats of violence um, to to just take over uh, you know lucrative parts of the economy. So yeah, all around a very worrying thing, very worrying uh, development indeed. Genevieve, what's your take on this? So I, I said this in the, in the discussion we had before the show, there's something a little bit disturbing about this and that it almost feels a little bit like some kind of how an insurgency would behave, right? Um, and of course, uh, we also saw, I think, on social media, um, one of Zuma's daughters, who's infamous for um, encouraging the July riots on social media last time, basically praising these actions and claiming you know, that was the closest I saw anyone claiming responsibility for them in some sort of veiled language. Um, this, this really, you know, it it seems as though once again the country is being held hostage by, I guess, some kind of internal ANC nonsense. Uh, what do you take of this? Well, firstly, I'm just grateful that nobody died. Often with these situations that occur in our country, people die. And it's more than just economic sabotage. It's, it's fear and it brings concern to the state of our country. And it's, it, it can be very traumatizing. But I definitely echo the words of Michael. It is worrisome. And with nobody having put their hand up, as Kelly said, is you cannot help but wonder sort of people are going to have their conspiracy theories people are going to have their own opinions and it can incite further violence and it's dangerous it's dangerous and already the entry is a particularly dangerous stretch of road but it's it is a lifeline for this country's economy and it's it's a very dangerous situation this it very much like an insurgency like a a very dangerous position for this country to be in Michael, um, once again, we kind of see uh, one of the complaints in the story from from the associations that deal, you know, that, that run the trucking uh, business, was that there's no proactive policing. Uh, there's sort of sometimes reactive policing, and in a case where you don't even have goods being stolen, um, 
having more police patrols, having, I don't know, escorts, which is a very dire place to be in, but it may be necessary to get us through this kind of situation. Um, and having some sort of ability to actually scout out the crime ahead of time uh, really seems like it's it's of paramount importance now. And and it just strikes me that this is, what, in the past couple of days, I think we, yesterday we talked about this or the day before, this is just a sort of recurring feature and that we really see the problems when you don't have something like crime intelligence, when you don't have a functional police force. Yeah, yeah, I think it's exactly right. Um, it, it's not, it's not uh, always uh, possible, I'm sure, to to predict uh, to predict crime. But you know, something like the whole tracking industry, we've been reading about this actually for years. The uh, transport industry has been uh, very vocal. We've read read the the opinions in the in the news media about the importance uh, of. Uh, the police understanding what the threats are, uh, who, who's involved. Um, it's you know it's been a recurring thing. Trucks have been uh, attacked and burned. It, it, it's either about foreign drivers or whatever the issue might be. The fact is, it's been a hot point, um, a sort of kind of flashpoint in in South Africa's uh, trade and mobility uh, environment, and a crucial one, as as Genevieve says. You know, we we absolutely rely on this these kind of trade routes and, and, and these relationships between places and companies who, who, are, who are operating those those functions. Um, and for the police not to be uh, deeply engaged in it, especially, I mean, it's two years now since to, uh, since the unrest in, in 2021, um, you know, to be monitoring this every every hour, knowing exactly what the volume of trucks is, who else is on the road, what are they doing there, um, you know, we, we, we really ought to have a, a, a much keener sense of that police presence, police, uh, you know, uh, uh, attention to the, the kind of background detail, following who's involved and so on. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a travesty that um, this doesn't appear to be true. And of course, the other thing to consider mm -hmm. is that when the police are so weak or and ineffectual, uh, what you essentially allow is very small groups of people to hold the country to ransom. As, as Genevieve says, you know, this is dangerous yeah. country, this is an important uh, arterial sort of route for, for goods traveling out of Joburg and back to Joburg and Harting in general. Uh, and, you know, we don't know how many people were involved in these truck burnings. Yeah. But all we know, it was maybe 20 people, right? I think they said there were like two buckies of 10 people. That was kind of the thing. If 20 people can threaten the sort of main economic lifeline of the country because the police are so ineffectual. Then you're in a very serious situation because any lunatic, fanatic uh, person with a political axe to grind, some kind of malevolent mafioso, whatever, can begin to make demands and seriously affect mm. people's lives. And I think that's something that needs to be urgently uh, uh, dealt with. Okay. Yeah. Um, just one yeah, sort of final thought there. Just, just, just looking at that at the intro of the news twenty four story, and they talk about you know a, another blow to confidence and harm in the economy, and one one thinks of um, you know emergent companies who are you know wanting to have, they have the opportunity now to participate. They have a stake in the economy. They've got three or four trucks. They're on the road. Their margin of loss must be very very tight. They simply couldn't afford this. And if anyone is looking to enter the economy and to have, you know, to build build their medium-sized business into a more significant one, maybe you know, exploiting the, all the 
the globalization, the pan-African spirit of inter trade and exchange and so on. This is just going to be uh, just going to be put a stop right to uh, stop it right on top of that. Um, it's just going to bring it to a, a very abrupt close, and that's a tragedy. Indeed, it is. All right, let's move on to a story that is uh, a little bit less menacing um, and a little bit more amusing. And this concerns the Nongoma mun local municipality in KZN. So recently, this municipality changed hands after a by-election in which the ANC managed to defeat the IFP, one of the few defeats of the IFP in, in by-elections in recent months. Uh, the ANC managed to grab back control of this municipality through an alliance with the National Freedom Party, which is the party that broke away from the IFP, and the EFF. Uh, and what followed was a hilarious sequence of events where the former IFP mayor refused to give back his government cars. Um, he apparently only did so after, I think the story was reported in News 24, and there was lots of public pressure on him and threats of legal action. He then handed the, the cars over to the new mayor, who was from the NFP, Mayor Clifford Ndababandaba, uh, who, then said, who then proceeded to go on what was described as a joyride, uh, driving around the municipality, going back to his home in a small village and having sort of a celebration using the cars with flashing blue light VIP convoy. You know, the, you, you can imagine the scene. This, some of this was videotaped of him arriving back at his house uh, with him with people cheering, ah, oh, look, it's the mayor, it's the mayor. Um, <laughs> so immediately upon receiving the, the, the state cars, going on this kind of gloating, self-indulgent show off uh, drive through the municipality. Um, this, uh, he was confronted uh, about this by, by some journalists um, who, who, and then he denied that it was him, he hadn't done this. He said, there's no evidence of this whatsoever. The journalist said, uh, no, there's a video. And he said, I haven't seen the video. And they said, we'll show the video to you. They sent him the video and he apparently had blocked them or something on WhatsApp because the message didn't go through. <laughs> so, um, Genevieve, this kind of seems to show, I guess, our politicians at their worst, right? We've got uh, uh, mayors in very poor municipality, not greatly run municipality, sort of squabbling over to get the keys to the fancy car so that they can show off. It's just, it's kind of, it's, it's like a symbol for so much that's wrong. What's your take on this? It is a grotesque display of the political conduct of the people that are supposed to be there for people that are supposed to represent South Africa and to think that this is a form of celebration for the new mayor it's it shows a, a side of the self agenda the personal agenda that is so typical of our politicians nowadays Oh, we seem to have lost Jim Leaf there. And, I mean, uh, but uh, sorry about that. Um, Michael, while we get her back, uh, what's what's your take on the story? Yeah, I mean, I, I echo Genevieve's <laughs> sentiments here. Uh, you know, it does it does uh, reveal something about the the um, 
sense of priorities among uh, among some politicians at any rate um i i just you know a little detail in the story that i just loved i thought a kind of choice phrase was um it was the um the, the new mayor describing the these two state vehicles um with the sort of bars of of blue lights uh, on the on the roof as tools of trade um, which undoubtedly they are and i'm sure in in rural KZN, you know mobility is a key thing but it, you know you would have thought that the, the, they were very much more significant tools of trade that he would he would like to use as a mayor to uh, to turn the fortunes of uh, of his community around um rather than uh, the, rather than the two state vehicles with their flashing blue lights um and there is this and Michael, you brought to uh, our attention recently this uh, story uh, of yes. <clears throat> the councillors that are illiterate in KZN. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. I, I just happened to notice that one of our colleagues shared shared a piece, and I think to her credit, actually, it was um, it was brought to our attention by the by the Minister of Lo Local Government um, that that in KZN there are some three hundred uh, councillors, elected councillors, who can neither read nor write. And as we were chatting before the show, um, the three of us, uh, we, we agreed that, you know, illiteracy is not necessarily a, 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 a sort of measurable uh, quality of a good politician or somebody who is, you know, a virtuous public servant uh, in, in that sense. But it is nevertheless uh, in 2023, uh, you know, a vital element of being able to know what's uh, what's happening in your in your environment and hold people to account, uh, track reports, uh, for, you, know, you know, keep keep watch over officials and so on. Um, so so we do, yeah. I mean, we do have this this terrible contrast between people who, you know, probably shouldn't be doing the job. Um, it, it's no, it's no moral judgment of them. It's simply, you know, a, a, an advisable quality. If you want to be a counselor, you probably ought to be able to read and write. Um, and um, and on the on the other hand, these this almost sort of childlike celebratory thing of of you know wanting to race off to your home and show your family your your new car with <laughs> flashing lights and and the, and the mayor shame. He he said no no no. I I, I completely deny this. There was no siren. But in the video, the, the the blue lights are sort of going, and it's this great sort of festive scene, which you can kind of understand, you know. But really, uh, when so much else needs doing and so much else is wrong, um, this is not necessarily the, a, a good look, as they say these days. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Genevieve, are you back with us? Do you have any final thoughts on the story before we move on? Yes, yes, I'm back. I hope I don't have any more technical difficulties. I think just a, a final thought is that the the term blue lights brigade really leaves a sour taste in South Africans' mouths. And even though this is a completely hilarious, disgusting um, event that has happened with misuse of government property, I can't help but think about what's happened now with the VIP protection spot mm. where they, the, the situation there where they assaulted um, South African civilians and going long even further back where governments misuse, well, government officials misuse these blue lights, brigades and for their own benefit. So it does leave quite a sour
taste in a South African smell. Indeed. Uh, and one shudders to think, you know, this is kind of the attitude to the, that this is the Blue Light Brigade is a tool of tool of the trade for a small mayor um, in, in a town that uh, wouldn't be surprised if you hear a story like this somewhere down the ways, uh, like like what happened with Paul Mashatila's brigade, because there's clearly a sort of view of um, once you've attained political power that, uh, you know, you don't have to have too much concern for the peasants anymore. Um, okay, speaking of Paul Mashatila, uh, let's talk a little bit about him. There was a, an editorial, I think it was in Media 24, uh, which says uh, that, sorry, Michael? Yeah, no, it's business live actually. But it's business live. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my mistake, which says that uh, it's very clear, at least in the editor's eyes, that Paul Mashatila is making some kind of grab for power and uh, looks set to replace Sir Ronald, or at least is 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 going to try and replace Sir Ronald Pausa at some point in the future. Who knows? Maybe after the twenty twenty four election, maybe even before it. But I, I think that's probably a bit of a stretch. Um, he's apparently assembled a team of advisors to advise him on matters of statecraft. He's trying to raise his profile. Uh, he has talked in public about uh, a plot to destroy him. Um, he said this shortly after the, the allegations about his blue light brigade convoy uh, assaulting those people came to light. Um, and this is, a, <laughs> this is a recurring thing in the ANC that when you want to make a grab for power that you... Uh, declare that there is a plot against you to destroy you uh, and that you have no choice but to take power in order to fend off said plot. Uh, so Mashatila seems to have some allies in this. He's definitely got some people in the ANC who are not fans of Solar Ramaphosa. But more than that, he also has help from outside the ANC, the EFF, which is kind of, you know, as is typical for, for the EFF, has kind of gone back and forth on describing Mashatila as both incompetent but also... Uh, a, a reasonable person who we can work with um, seems to be backing him as well. And one can see a situation where in 2024, the ANC needs the EFF for a coalition agreement and Malema puts pressure on the ANC perhaps to get uh, Mashatile in to replace Ramaphosa. It doesn't help that Ramaphosa has given a whole bunch of signs that he's not, shall we say, as enthusiastic about the job as perhaps he was when he first started. Uh, I think we remarked on the show last year that when he he accepted his nomination for the ANC um, to 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 uh, be its leader again, that he he kind of basically said, "Ah, oh, if I have to," <laughs> it was the most depressed kind of speech yeah. heard out of a major political leader in a, in a long time. Uh, and you know, he doesn't seem there's there's, a, there's been rumors and allegations that he's far more interested in uh, his farm at Palapala and. Uh, I assume not the, the money in the couch, but um, looking after the animals and, and kind of running that and then he isn't being the president. Now, I don't know if that's fair or not, um, but that perception is certainly out there. Uh, Michael, let me go to you again. Um, what do you make of this? Do you think that Mashatila is making a kind of grab for power that uh, this business live editorial suggests? Or, uh, uh, and, and if he does, do you think he'll be able to win? I mean, what's your take on this? Hmm. I mean, whether he'll be able to win, I'm not sure. But uh, as you say, you know, Ramaphosa hasn't really done his uh, his um, interests um, a, lot, a lot of good by by on several occasions. I think 
kind of implying that you know he's really had enough and it's a terribly difficult job and his heart's not really in it um so you know that does really open the way for a keen ambitious uh, uh youngster to come along and you know have a go um the other point of course about Ram Pause that you you mentioned a bit earlier was um what is the fact that that he's his remains one of South Africa's most popular politicians so he's a great asset he's the asset actually of, of the ANC um and the thing that of course immediately occurs to me is that how ironic that at the point at which the ANC is at its weakest we have most to worry about what it's going to be in 2024 who's going to lead it what what sort of uh, arrangements it's going to make with other parties if, if it has to make them uh, which seems very likely um i was looking a bit earlier at a, a piece by uh, by martin williams in in in, in the citizen in uh, i think it was march yeah march this year highlighting the fact that it was mashatile who um who was the behind the scenes Emilos Greece orchestrating the ANC EFF um, grab of power in yeah in in Gauteng um, and you know in in Johannesburg and and Trani. so and and as as you say you know he's he, the, the EFF has has made uh, sort of sent mixed mixed signals about him but it, clearly there is some kind of um, some kind of relationship there they've had some dealings in the past so yeah it's 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 potentially worrying um, it might you know it might hinge on on who these young advisors are that he's pulling around himself i was interested to see in the editorial in business day that that apparently um just as mashatile is, is is drawing together this kind of team uh to advise him as they put it on various matters of statecraft this coincides with uh, ramaphosa apparently losing um some of his young smart advisors so right. it, it, does, it does point to a maybe a kind of sea change in the anc leadership yeah, as we've said many times on the show before, um, despite the fact that he's not nearly as popular as he used to be, Soroma Poza remains in many ways the most popular politician in the country by a long way. Everyone else has got terrible approval ratings. Um, yeah. I think something like, something like close to half of voters don't even know who John Steenhuisen is. Uh, Malema is well known, but is extremely polarizing with um, you know a chunk of the country fanatically favor of him, but then much a, a larger part of the country really really heavily against him uh and so never mind whether mashatila is actually going to be in a position to to take over or not uh it would seem madness for the ANC to do so they don't have another civil ramaphosa mm. i mean this to me suggests that the party if it does elevate mashatila is going to uh set a course for electoral oblivion mm. um Genevieve, Might what are your, your thoughts on these? Indeed. <laughs> I think just pulling back to that comment about Cyril Ramaphosa seemingly no longer interested in being president. I think that that is something that South Africans are picking up on. He seems like his heart is no longer in it. No. Ah, no, we lost Genevieve yeah. again. I think that's very <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think, uh, no, no, she's gone. Um, okay, uh, 
I think we're probably going to have to call it to a close soon. But Michael, do you have any final thoughts on this before we close up for today? Mm, just sort of one final thing was um, just a point that that Business Day raises in in the very last um, paragraph of its of its editorial, where it says that as our democracy matures, we should think about inst insulating the public service from political office bearers' whims. In the UK, for example, bureaucrats' tenure is not linked to politicians. And of course, what we have here is a big sort of uh, bugbear of the IRR, the CADA deployment and the um, and the, the policy actually introduced really, first raised and, and given impetus by none other than Nelson Mandela uh, in the 1997, um, was it Mafeking conference? I forget which one it was, um, to urge the ANC to, you know, get its hands on all levers of power. And unfortunately, uh, the chickens have come home to roost. And this is really, you know, the, the point that that paragraph highlights is the importance of um, of separating politics, the politics of leadership elections and leadership fights, and uh, the very great task that the um, that the public service uh, confronts in, in, you know, making genuine improvements in the country. Well said. Okay, uh, sorry about the technical difficulties, everyone, um, but um, I'm sure we'll have Genevieve back on the show again, hopefully with more stable internet. But uh, anyway, thank you very much, everyone. We hope you found the show interesting uh we will be back with the daily friend wrap at five o'clock tomorrow um and this will be the, the sort of schedule going forward we're looking at actually expanding the wrap um and also placing a show on friday but that's uh that'll probably only start next week so anyway uh we hope that you found the show interesting and we will see you again on the daily friend show cheers everyone